Welcome to the GRF On The Go podcast. The subject matter experts at GRF CPAs and Advisors created this podcast to offer insights on current topics, as well as new ideas and best practices that your team can apply today. This podcast was originally presented as a live webinar. CPE information provided during the podcast is no longer valid, but if you're interested in watching the video version of this session or accessing the slide deck, visit our website at grfcpa.com forward slash events. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe for future content. Hello, want to welcome everyone participating in today's webinar, meet the implementation deadline for the new lease accounting standard. My name is Kyle Crow, and I'm a supervisor here at GRF CPAs and Advisors and I will be today's session moderator. I will now introduce our speakers for today's webinar. Lindsay Dean is a partner in our audit department. Steve Lyons is a senior manager in our outsourced accounting department. Kaylee Newhouse is a manager in our outsourced accounting team as well. And Casey Stewart is a manager at NetGain, a lease accounting software solutions provider. I will now turn the presentation over to Kaylee. Thank you, Kyle. All right, we have a lot of items to cover today as we go through kind of a fast summary of many things related to ASC 842. So we're going to start with a summary of changes in the lease accounting as a result of the new standard, touching on both lessors and lessees. We'll talk about some implementation tips, changes in disclosures, and since it's that time of year, an expedited slide at the end of how we can keep this concise and pretty straightforward for our guests today. And we'll even be able to take a look at NetLease to get an idea of a very powerful tool that can help keep all of this tracked and straightforward and tied out. And with that, I will hand it over to Lindsay. Thanks, Kelly. So let's look briefly at why the standard is being issued. So FASB is really trying to update and increase transparency and comparability among different organizations. These obligations are very significant to a lot of organizations or entities. So when users look at those financial statements, they want to make sure they have a complete picture of the leasing activities. Previously, lease accounting did have some criticisms because it didn't require the lessees to recognize an asset or a liability from operating leases on the balance sheet or the statement of financial position. So those uh, operating leases were really only disclosed in the notes to the financial statements in the future uh, commitments, and they weren't recorded on the balance sheet. The criticisms mainly had to do with the lessee accounting. So lessor accounting was not fundamentally changed with this update. The main difference in the new standard involves the lessee model. So it's requiring the lessees to record both a right of use asset and also a liability on the balance sheet for really almost any, any lease. Um, the topic 842 does retain a distinction between finance leases and operating leases. So as far as who the standard applies to, it really applies to any entity that's entering into a lease, and it does apply to all leases and subleases of property, plant, and equipment. You can see that there are certain non-depreciable assets that are covered under different FASB topics, so those are not included, including intangible assets, um, leases to explore for resources such as minerals, oils, etc., uh, biological assets, inventory, 
and leases of assets under construction are all not covered by the standard. The effective date of implementation, as I'm sure you're all aware, is basically now. So any fiscal years beginning after December 15th, 2021. Uh, so that includes all of those December 31st, 2022 calendar year entities that are required to be reporting under the standard during this current year that's ending. As far as the implementation method, it requires a modified retrospective transition with the cumulative effect of the transition as of either the effective date or the beginning of the earliest comparative period presented. So under the effective date method, the entity's comparative reporting is going to be unchanged. It's going to be reported under the old GAP. And then the period subsequent to the effective date would be presented in accordance with the new GAP. So the, the lessee may also adopt uh, or elect to not apply this recognition requirement to the short-term leases. So those are the leases that are 12 months or less. And instead, you can continue to recognize those leases on a straight-line basis during the year. So that would be similar to how they were treated under the old topic. Uh, so this is an option that would save time and effort in putting together a lot of those smaller lease schedules and also uh, maintaining them, of course, over that period of time. The same concept does apply to variable lease payments. So those can be recognized in the period in which the obligation for the payments is incurred. So an example of that of those type of payments would be payments that are directly to taxing authorities or insurance providers. And again, both of those uh, items are to provide some ease of burden in implementing this new standard. BASB did permit for certain practical expedients to reduce the cost and hopefully the complexity of implementing the standards for organizations. The first three that are listed here actually have to be implemented together as a package. So the first being that the um, entity has the option of, of not um, re-identifying and classifying leases that started before the effective date. So if, if a large organization has a lot of leases, that could really um, decrease the burden for them trying to go through all of those contracts and seeing if maybe they, they contained a lease or a lease component. The second expedient has to do with reevaluating uh, existing lease classifications. So you do not have to go through and, and do that and reevaluate the, uh, the existing lease classifications, which could really help in some cases if you maybe had a lease that was an operating lease and now it's a finance lease, it, it could require a lot of additional work. So you might not wanna do that. The third item in the package that has to be uh, all implemented together allows entities relief from having to identify initial direct costs that commenced before the, commence the effective date. So those are those costs that could have been avoided if the entity had not entered into the lease agreement. So maybe an example would be legal fees related to the lease execution. So those are the three that have to be implemented together. There is an additional practical expedient that allows you to use hindsight in determining lease term and assessing impairment. So for example, if you had signed a 10-year lease at the start, you might not know if you're gonna extend that lease and the lease included an option to extend for three years. But now that you're actually in the year of implementation of the new standard, you've already figured out that you're not gonna need that space. So you can use hindsight when you're doing your lease uh, schedules and calculations, which is really helpful in saving time and extra work in, in those calculations. The same thing would apply if you have a purchase option at the end of a lease. 
So for example, equipment, if you're reasonably certain that you're going to exercise an option to purchase at the end, you need to include that additional payment and then include that and amortize it over the life rather than over the lease term. So both of those, those items are going to just save time of remeasuring at a later date. So now I'm going to turn it back over to Kyle um, for our first polling question. Sure. Thank you, Lindsay. Like you mentioned, we are at our first polling question. So polling question number one, have you identified the leases that are impacted by the new lease standard? A, yes. B, no. C, unsure. Please take a moment to answer now. While participants are submitting their answers, I'll provide the first CPE word. The first CPE word is asset. If you want to receive CPE credit, please jot these words down because you will need them for the survey following the webinar. Again, the first CPE word is asset. Okay. Uh, well, it looks like a lot of organizations have identified the leases that are impacted, so that's great news. Um, hopefully everyone else will get on that after this webinar. Um, so then I guess I'll go back into the next slide. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so as we were going through just the standard and why it was implemented, the next step is going to be, you know, what do you do? So what is a lease? First of all, you have to look and see, are, you, are there any contracts that you have that conveys the right to control the use of an identified property, plant, or equipment for a period of time in exchange for consideration? Um, and as far as control, that means that you're going to have the right to obtain substantially all the economic benefits from the use of the asset, and also you have the right to direct the use of the asset. So the first thing you're doing, you're going through and determining if you have those leases. After you have your list of leases, you want to determine what type of lease you have. So under the new standard, you're going to have either a finance lease or an operating lease. Um, the finance lease is similar to what used to be a capital lease. So you have these provisions that are going to direct you to the fact that you have a finance lease. Uh, lease transfers ownership at the end of the lease term. Lease grants a purchase option that is reasonably certain to be exercised. Lease term is for a major part of the remaining economic life of the asset. Present value of the lease payments and any guaranteed residual value exceeds or equals all of the fair value of the underlying asset. And this Last one is new to the, the new standard specialized asset that has no alternative use to the lesser at the end of the lease term. So most of the um, provisions are similar to the old standards. You'll note that there's no hard line as far as a percentage in this one, but most companies have been sticking with the 75% of the term of the lease and the 90% present value just for continuity and to avoid additional work in justifying different uh, definitions there. And also under the finance lease, I just wanted to point out that for the lessee, it's called a finance lease. On the lessor side, it's now referred to as a sales type lease because the uh, lessor is assumed to be selling a product to the lessee, uh, which is then going to call for the profit or loss recognition. So if none of those apply to your lease, then you're going to have the operating lease, which is actually referred to as a direct financing lease for the lessor. So they're obtaining uh, asset or 
and then leasing it to the customer with the intent of generating revenue from resulting interest payments. So now you have your leases and you've figured out what type they are, and you're gonna to wanna to look at the lease to see if there's different components in that lease that you need to uh, account for separately. So you have a, a distinct lease component if the lessee can benefit from the right of use either on its own or together with other resources, and the right of use is neither highly dependent nor highly related with other rights to use the assets. So you go through your leases, determine you, if you have separate components, um, and then you're gonna to wanna to determine if it's a lease component or a non-lease component. Um, so I, examples of non-lease components would be things like providing common area maintenance of lease office space or a receptionist. So the good thing about the new standard is that there is a practical expedient for non-lease components where the, the lessee can elect to include both the lease and the non-lease components as a single component to account for that as a lease rather than trying to account for those separately. So that will increase the total lease liability when you, when you include it in the one component, but again, probably save some additional work as well and would be worth it to implement that. Um, This next slide just goes a little more into depth on once you do determine that there's separate lease components and you did wanna account for them, you would need to then determine the standalone price of a separate component um, and then basically allocate the consideration of the contract to those separate components of your, of your contract. Um, you also have to allocate any initial direct costs to the separate lease components. So if there's a separate, you know, actual lease component that you're accounting for, that's something that you would have to dig into a little bit more. So once you've determined all that information and how you're gonna account for your lease, then you're gonna get into the actual calculations. Um, so this slide just discusses the lease liability, which is gonna be the present value of the sum of the remaining minimal rent payments that you have, as well as any amounts that are probable of being owed by the lessee under a residual value guarantee. You are gonna to have to use a discount rate to calculate that present value. And that discount rate should be determined at the later of the earliest period presented or the commencement date of the lease. The operating right, uh, lease right of use asset should be measured and it should really be the same value as the lease liability. However, there's certain adjustments that play into this calculation. So a lot of them are listed below. The, the one that we most frequently see are the lease incentives, so moving expenses, rent abatement, cash bonus, et cetera, that you see in a lot of leases. And that's going to reduce the lease expense if it's an operating lease and reduce the amortization expense if you have a finance lease. I mentioned the discount rate to apply when you're when you're calculating your present value. There are specific uh, requirements as to what rate you should use. So first of all, you should be using the rate implicit in the lease if there is one. That's actually stated directly in the guidance that the lessee should use the rate if it's readily determinable. Of course, a lot of times that's not really information that you're privy to. So you can go ahead and try to calculate that rate if if you really want to get into it, um, it might make the overall lease liability lower, which some organizations might like the idea of. However, 
um, might be some work to, to calculate that rate. On the other hand, there are other options. So you have incremental borrowing rate, which is the rate of interest that the lessee would have to pay if they were borrowing amount equal to the total lease payments over a similar term in a similar economic environment. So this is also an option. However, in some cases, that could also be information that's difficult to obtain. So a lot of organizations don't really have that available to them. You could engage a specialist that, that specializes in valuations or go to a third-party lender to try and, and figure out what that rate would be. But again, that might end up resulting in some additional time and effort in implementing the standard. So there is one additional option, which has the option to use the risk-free rate. So the risk-free rate you can easily obtain by going to a website like the Treasury website and just getting the rate as of the effective date. Um, so this will minimize the work and potential costs in determining the rate. However, your lease liability uh, would end up potentially being higher under this, this method um, because of the that's usually the lowest rate. So that's just a consideration. Uh, we do recommend, however, that whatever you are going to use, that you think about this uh, ahead of time and suggest this to you know, whoever your accountant or your auditor is, because it's really the organization's responsibility to determine that rate, even if you're getting assistance from an outside party to uh, prepare the schedules for you. So the last thing I wanted to discuss briefly is other considerations. Um, these are just items that if you are implementing the standard, you should be aware of. The first one has to do with modification. So a lot of of organizations are modifying their leases or have been over the course of COVID and all the changes that have been going on. So it's important to consider that if you do modify your, um, your lease, you may have to either reevaluate the entire schedule or you could be dealing with a separate contract. So um, the, the things to look at when you're looking at that is, does the new modification include an additional right of use that was not included in the original lease? And are the lease payments commensurate with the standalone price for the additional right of use? So if you get a new floor of a building and it's priced similar to other floors, you might have a modification that's actually a new contract. If that's not the case, then you're most likely going to have to just reassess the whole classification of the lease as of the effective date and redo your, your lease schedule. Uh, I won't dive too deep into the other provisions on here, but just know that the commencement date is actually the date that the uh, assets being made available for the lessee, uh, not the signing date or the date you start payment. So that's an important one. Um, and the other ones, like I won't do deep dive into because I know we're moving on to the other things. So I'm just gonna go over to pulling question number two and back to Kyle for that one. Sure, sure. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. We are at our second polling question. Polling question number two, if you have prepared a lease calculation, what discount rate did you determine was appropriate? A, rate implicit in the lease. B, incremental borrowing rate. C, risk-free rate. Or D, unsure. Please take a moment to answer now. While participants are submitting their answers, I'll provide the second CPE word. The second CPE word is discount. 
If you want to receive CPE credit, please jot these words down because you will need them for the survey following the webinar. Again, the second CPE word is discount. Great, thank you, Kyle. And over to Steve. Thanks, Kelly. Good afternoon, everyone. Again, thanks again for joining today's webinar. Um, my name is Stephen Lyons, and I'll be discussing the presentation and required disclosures associated with the new lease standard. We'll discuss the balance sheet first. So as previously mentioned, the present value of the lease payments will be recorded on the balance sheet as a right of use, right of use asset operating, as well as a right of use asset financing, depending on the criteria of the lease. The right of use asset operating and right of use financing, the leases related to these two cannot be combined. They have to be shown distinctly. So if you have leases that are operating, you'll record those into the operating section of the balance sheet and all your leases that are financing will be reported into the balance sheet as a right of use asset operating right of use asset financing. And this next slide will uh, give an illustration of that. So you will see that the finance lease right of use asset is separate from the operating use right of use asset. Also, there will be corresponding liabilities. And so there's a financing lease liability and the operating lease liability to go along with the right of use assets as well. And for the balance sheet, they will be uh, segregated into long term and current portions for the lease. Actually, Callie, heel back one second for the slide. You'll note too here on the finance right of use asset, there is accumulated depreciation associated with the right of use asset. So with the financing lease, we're allowed to record amortization over the life of the uh, asset and that'll show up, the amortization expense will show up on the income statement. We'll dive into that on the next slide. So for the presentation of the income statement for operating leases, we will show it as lease expense. So similar to what we record as rent expense under the old standard. For financing lease, we will have two components. We will have the interest expense related to the liability, as well as the amortization expense recorded on the right of use asset financing. Note that for the presentation of the income statement, you can combine your interest expense. So if you have other financing liabilities, the, the interest expense can be combined as well as other assets with amortization. They can be combined on the income statement as well. We'll see later in the disclosures where we'll break that out, but for the purpose of the face of the income statement, those items can be combined. On the statement of cash flows, the repayments on the operating lease liability will, will be shown in the operating section. Payments from the financing lease would be showing in the financing section of the cash flow statement. And verbal lease payments, we'll get into that in disclosures, would not be shown in the cash flow. Here again is another example to uh, depict the illustration. We have operating expense 
uh, depreciation expense, partially depreciation and amortization, and the lease expense. So as I mentioned before, your interest expense could be combined to one account, as well as all your depreciation and amortization, as well as the lease expense. Here's an illustration of the cash flow statement. You'll see the operating uh, payments related to operating lease will be reported in the operating section. And payments related to the financing lease here, you see in the indirect method would be in the financing section of the cash flow statement. And here's just a quick, a quick summary, quick cheat, uh, cheat sheet of how to record and some things to keep in mind as you're recording the lease on the financial statements. So your financing lease, as I mentioned, you have a right of use asset financing, the lease liability. On the income statement, it's the interest expense, along with the amortization, cash flow. You will have your payments related to your finance lease in the financing section, the cash flow statement, uh, operating lease, will be on the balance sheet as a uh, right of use asset operating income statement. You're showing your total lease costs, your lease expense, and then again, on your cash flow, all the operating payments will show up in the operating section of your cash, cash flow statement, excuse me. So we discussed the presentation of the new lease standard. Now we're going to dive into some of the required disclosures related to the lease. So quantitative and qualitative disclosures. So part of your, your lease accounting, your significant accounting policies and your footnotes, we will disclose information regarding uh, general information about the lease. So the types of leases you have, you have both operating as well as financing lease that will be captured in there. Uh, terms and conditions for vertical lease payments that may be uh, terms related to insurance, taxes. Your vertical lease payments are payments that were not used to measure the present value of the, the uh, lease, excuse me, the right of use asset and the lease liability. Oops. It's okay. <laughs> uh, any options to extend or terminate the lease? Uh, if the leasee guarantees a, a value to the lessor at the end of the lease for an asset, we would disclose that. Uh, any debt covenants or any covenants related to the lease, we would include uh, any leases that haven't started yet, practical expedience. So all this will be in your uh, significant accounting policies and your in your footnotes related to the lease. As you can imagine with this new standard, your, your lease footnote will be a little bit more expanded than, than under the previous standard. Okay, so quantitative uh, disclosure. So we will disclose all the costs associated with the finance lease operating lease, short-term lease costs. If you have a short-term lease, leases that are less than 12 months, we would capture that variable lease costs, uh, any sublease income. If you have any sales or leaseback transactions that would be disclosed separately, as well as uh, separately on, on the income statement as well. Uh, for cash flow, again, other disclosure relates to the cash flow statement. If there are any cash paid in a measurement of the operating liabilities, we would disclose that, as well as the weighted average, the average lease, the average lease term of both the operating and financing lease, as well as the discount rate that was discussed earlier. And so here is a an example of what uh, the disclosure may look like in your financial statements. 
You have your total cost related to your financing lease, your operating lease, short-term lease costs, variable lease costs, and then the reduction for the sub sublease income, thus coming up with a total lease cost in your note disclosures. And again, a little bit more detailed um, example, but just the, the takeaway here is to ensure that you are separating your operating lease costs and your finance lease costs in your note disclosure. And as well as uh, for internal purposes that you're tracking this stuff uh, throughout the year in some capacity, whether you set up separate accounts um, to uh, track the um, information related to two types of lease if you have, the, um, if you have both, both leases. Next slide, I believe we're at our next polling question. And uh, with that, I will turn it back over to Kyle. Thanks, Steve. We are at our final polling question. So polling question number three, what do you think will be the biggest challenge in implementing the new standard for your organization? A, determining if the lease is an operating or finance lease. B, determining the discount rate. C, determining the journal entries to record the lease transactions or D, unsure. Please take a moment to answer now. While participants are submitting their answers, I'll provide the third and final CPE word. The third CPE word is lease. If you want to receive CPE credit, please jot these words down because you will need them for the survey following the webinar. Again, the third CPE word is lease. Okay, determining the journal entries. Okay. Yeah, that's that's certainly important with um, implementing the new lease. This next excuse me, this next disclosure uh, should be familiar. It's just the presentation of the lease payments over the next five years, known as the maturity analysis. And so as we go to the next slide, we'll we'll kind of capture this. So as you can see, it's similar to the old lease standard where it requires to disclose the payments over the next five years and thereafter, uh, less the imputed interest, which would be from the discount that you applied and determine the present value of the lease to come up with the total lease liability for both the operating and capital lease in the disclosures and the total should reconcile or balance to the, lab, the lease liability on your uh, statement of financial position or your balance sheet. So this should be a, a similar uh, similar process or for recording the new lease um, standard. These are some of the lessor disclosures. I'm gonna dive too much into them, but they are similar to the lease as mentioned before, not much change to lessor under the new standard. Uh, I will just discuss briefly a little bit the last bullet, the maturity analysis of the lease receivable, similar to the lease showing the lease payments over the next five years, the lessor will show the expected cash received discount over the next five years, and the total there would match their receivable that they have on their balance sheet. And some other presentations and disclosures considerations to be mindful of or just they come across during your 
uh, implementation, uh, impairment of the right of use assets. So due to economic conditions, termination with the lease, you may have an impairment with your right of use assets. So you actually may have to write it down um, as a result of a, a termination or the lease, the right of use asset may not convey the value that is expected to over the next uh, several years. So another an impairment. Leases denominated in foreign currency. So if you have right of use assets that are in a different um, currency on the conversion rate, we would use the rate that was at the commencement. Lease, the actual lease liability on conversion will be used at the spot rate. So whatever the rate that you're converting your lease for the lease liability section related to the uh, lease liability will be used on the actual spot rate. Any gains or losses on the conversion would be recorded to your uh, income statement or statement of activities. Uh, sales leaseback transactions. Uh, first here, you want to apply Section 606. Um, for that guidance to make sure you have an existence of a contract, performance obligations, and then after you've done that, then you can go and to apply the lease criteria that we mentioned on the presentation. And I think I mentioned this before, but gains or losses arising from the sale respect transactions are shown in the some separately, as well as disclosed in the financial statements. And with that, I will turn it over to Casey, who will give some examples, as well as discuss a tool that we use to help with implementation and recording of some of the activity and uh, disclosures related to the new lease standard. Yes, thank you, Steve. Up until this point, Lindsay and Steven might have scared you a little bit with the whole new standard. There's lots of things that go into this. You have to think about classification, practical expedience, transition methods, amortization schedules, disclosures, a lot's going into that. But fortunately, I get to be the bearer of good news. Using software is creates a much more manageable transition to ASC 842. NetGain is one provider of software. Uh, GRF has uh, partnered with NetGain, but there are also multiple software providers out there. We provide software for both firm and client. So I wanted to walk through a few examples today of how software can handle this transition and show some features as well. So here in this client example that we have, we're gonna walk through a financing lease and then we'll also create an operating lease. So I'm gonna click into this financing lease here. As the lease record pulls up, we'll be able to see the information that goes into this lease. We'll notice this is a piece of equipment classified as a financing lease. We see some notes that there's some uh, documents provided for support. The lease commence on 1-1-22, ends 12-31 of 28. We have a discount rate of 6.5%. And we can see here in the schedule that our lease liability balance is $248,000. If I click into the payments, I can see that this lease requires $59,000 annual payments for the life of the lease. And it looks like there was a purchase option of $5,000 as well. That's probably why this is classified as our financing lease. If I come over to the classification tab, I can see that that's the case. It looks like the for this lease, it was reasonably certain that the asset would be purchased, hence our financing classification. As I click into our documents tab, it looks like there's some rate support for our discount rate of 6.5% up here. 
And it looks like there's even a lease agreement uploaded to the software as well. So just another way to keep everything centralized here in one spot for all things pertaining to our leases. I'll look at the audit trail. It looks like this lease was created just a couple of days ago. So that's it for our financing lease. If I come back to our lease list, I can see there's still just the one. Let's create an operating lease and show you what that process looks like. We have a lot of tools built out, especially during this first year of transition. This is going to be new territory for a lot of users. So we have some wizards that can walk through the process to create lease records. I'm going to select the lease assistant up top and have it walk me through all the required fields to create this operating lease. Call this the GRF operating lease. Lease type, this will be a real estate lease. Like Lindsay walked through, there is one of the practical expedients that allows us to just bring over the same classification from 840 to 842. Operating leases can remain operating. Capital leases, they kind of just got a rebrand and are now financing leases. We'll assume this lease might be one that we're bringing over. So let's just say it was uh, operating before and it will continue to be operating now. For our commencement date, our help window here walks us through some of the transition methods that Lindsay touched on. So we'll again assume that this is just a transition lease, 1-1-2022. Our end date, our 12-31-2031 for 10 years. And then our discount rate, this can be an area that's a little more tricky. So if we click this link, this would take us to a help website that walks you through the three different options for private companies to use either that rate implicit in the lease, the IBR, or the risk-free rate. And there's even tools built out to pull down treasury rates that will support the discount rate selected. For sake of brevity, we'll just call this a 6% rate for now. And we're prompted to click into our accounting tab to look at payment timing. We'll leave this in advance and then be prompted to enter our payments. This lease's payments don't begin until the end of the year, so we'll mark 12-31-2022. And I'm referencing the lease details on my other screen. Our payments are $100,000. That would be on an annual basis, and the system can handle any frequency really that you'll be hit with. So we'll mark that as annually. If our lease payments change, this would be a spot where we could enter escalating lease payment structures, or maybe our lease began with a period of free rent. We would just enter the initial payment as zero, and then when payments actually kick in with the lease, that's when we would enter the payment amount going forward. In this case, let's say no, the payments don't change. We're prompted then to create our lease record and the user interface will present the amortization schedule for this lease that we just created. So we can see our lease liability balance for this 10 year lease has a $733,000 lease liability and a $733,000 right of use asset. There were none of those adjustments that Lindsay mentioned like prepayments, deferred rent, initial direct costs or any lease incentives. As we review this lease, we'll note that our monthly lease expense is straight-lined at $8,333. Even though we don't make payments until the end of the year, we still recognize that monthly lease expense on a straight-line basis. We could upload documents here, like I showed in the financing lease record, or if we needed help classifying this lease for the first time, we could click through the classification tool. But now that I've reviewed our lease schedule, I'll come up to Lease Actions and select Commence Lease. 
What this does is once we commence the lease, the system knows, okay, now this lease is active. We're going to include this in any reports that we run. If I were to click into reports, we do have journal entry reports that would show you each month's journal entries required for amortization, as well as initial balance, recognition. And we also have reports that will run all of the quantitative required footnote disclosures that Stephen mentioned earlier, now required under ASC 842. But now that this lease is active, let's go ahead and modify the lease. We'll run one of those remeasurements that has been referenced. So let's say down the road, we decided to extend this lease. We weren't sure we were going to originally, but now things have changed and we're gonna exercise a renewal option. The system will walk you through all the required inputs to modify or remeasure this lease record. Our current info is listed up top, and then our modification info is entered here. We can handle all three types of modifications that you'll see, just a standard modification, the remeasurement, so think lease extensions, the decrease in scope and ROU impairment, and all of the resulting journal entries will be shown here in the system as well. So let's say the effective date of this modification was on 1-1-2027, we decided to extend the lease for five more years. So we'll change our lease end date to 2036. The FASB says anytime we remeasure a lease, we have to revisit our discount rate. So on 1-1-2027, let's say our rate would now be 7%. And I'll throw in a note here. Paragraph 2B. We'll say that we stored the lease agreement here in the software as well. With our lease modification, we also are required to update our payments. It looks like the landlord wants a little more cash out of us. So let's say on 12, 31, 20, 27, our payments are now going to jump up to 110 annually instead of our original 100,000. So we'll change that to annually. As I select modify lease, the system will adjust my amortization schedule in the software. And if I were to run those journal entry reports, it would show me the actual debit and credit to right of use asset and lease liability to gross up our asset and liability balance for that extra stream of payments that we just created. As I scroll down a little bit, I can show you the period 60 is where we modified our lease record. So we can see that here. We grossed up the balance sheet by 447K when we added on that extra five years of payments. And our lease expense straight line updated from prior to our modification was 8,333. And going forward, we'll be right at that 10,000 monthly mark for our lease amortization or our lease expense. So the tool is very robust and also easy to use. Uh, like I said, GRF has partnered with NetLease. So if you're a GRF client, you can reach out to one of them to get more information on how the software works and how you could implement that at your company. If you're not a GRF client, you're more than welcome to reach out to me or any other of my colleagues at NetGain. But there are solutions out there. Software is the way to handle ASC 842. Thank you. Thank you, Casey. That's definitely a lot easier and faster than anything I would have been seeing in a spreadsheet in terms of looking at some of those options. So 
we're at the implementation and the practical implementation at that. So everyone take a deep breath. That was a lot of information. And with software, it can be a little bit easier to digest. And so a couple tips along the way, but definitely wanna really thank Casey for showing us how fast it can be to do it in a tool versus a spreadsheet. So for implementing this new standard, a couple items to keep in mind, most if not all organizations will want to identify, develop their task force of internal and external professionals as needed to help with assessing this impact and how it's going to actually go live. This group should be assessing all of your leases, keeping in mind several of the practical expedients, especially that short-term lease option. Once you have this list, you'll want to document everything we just saw on our checklist, as well as in NetLease to make sure that your internal controls are robust and keeping everything on the right track. A spreadsheet can work for these six items, but Again, keeping it in a place where others can access it and it can be continually updated for modifications at the clicks of five buttons, a lot easier. As you evaluate and record all of these items, you'll want to be documenting those methodologies. Like we saw, our footnote disclosures are going to be a lot longer compared to some of our prior years. And the journal entries, keeping in mind that was I think the highest concern for this group and those would be automated by a software option as well until they become as standard as the old rule was for us. We want to carefully assess all of the appropriate financial statement presentations and disclosures, especially if this is the first year for most of the folks joining us today. And after implementation, it's always good to develop any updates to those accounting policies that get provided annually, including the creation and any new GL accounts. You wanna be able to call those out to the auditors because we'll be looking for those, I would think, on all trial balances with this lease standard being adopted. And of course, ask questions. It's a lot of information and it's the first year. So I think a lot of us are going to be double checking our work phoning a friend and reaching out to even auditors and other experts to make sure that we are covered and we understand how all of this information flows together. And I wanted to also point out one more housekeeping item that Casey did go through those fantastic examples. When we provide today's materials, we will have those items covered in the PowerPoint slide, which was hidden today to show net lease but you'll have those examples if you want to go through some of the math as well. And with that, we've really raided our time. So we still have 10 minutes for some question and answers here. And really wanna thank the entire group for sticking with us on this topic today. Yes, thank you all. Like I mentioned, now that we're toward the end of the presentation, we'd like to run through some answers that we've received or some questions, excuse me, that we've received from the audience. So question number one we have here, what is the implementation for leases that are less than one year or month to month? Um, I think, oh, oh, go ahead, Leslie, go ahead. Okay, 
and feel free to jump in if you have something something else to say. But I think we received a similar question in the chat box too about covering um, we work leases or ones that are you know short term, and also about software leases. So I guess as far as the short term or, or less than less than twelve months question, those you can elect to uh, record them as they used to be recorded basically on a straight line um, basis throughout the year and not put them as an asset or liability. So the ones that are 12 months or less from their commencement date, you can do that with those. Um, so I think, you know, WeWork generally would fall under that, that characterization. I, I think there is some consideration of you have a lease that's kind of like an evergreen lease that just keeps on renewing, you know, how likely are you to, to exit out of that? But for the most part, we're seeing organizations treat those short-term leases um, in that manner, just with a practical expedient. And then the, the question about the software lease, so that's an intangible, so that wouldn't be included in the, uh, the current standard. Okay, and I guess just to kind of add on to the discussion on short-term leases, another question we have here, how do you measure a short-term lease from the original lease date or from the effective date of the new standard? Um, since it's the same <laughs> similar question about the short term, yeah. I, I think it's from the commencement date of the lease. So, I mean, I think one thing you'd have to look at with if you're implementing this and you have a, a lease that ends in the current year, um, you know, how material is that? Even though it's maybe originally was a longer lease, you know, what's your remaining, what was deferred and whatnot? It was something we'd probably look at during the audit period, but I think the definition is supposed to be from the commencement date. Okay, the other question we have here. Can you please discuss 842 implementation as a sub-lessor? That might be more than nine minutes, but I'm sure if that person can provide us an email or reach out via email, we can probably set something up for some additional information there. But if anyone has a quick blurb to cover all things sub-lessors. All I'll point out is that in net lease, there is a sub-lease sub option to classify lease, which is different than you know lessor accounting. It's just straight lining your income over the life of that sub-lease. So there is that feature within the software as well. Okay, another question here. We just renegotiated our lease, receiving eight months of rent abatement. We are already recognizing deferred rent under the first lease obligation. How do I record this change? Um, I can jump in on that briefly. So I think you need to look at the, the lease to determine if it's just a modification of the old terms or if it's really like a new contract where you're getting um, something that wasn't originally included. And based on those two factors, you're either going to have to do a separate you know, calculation of that new contract or if it's just a modification that of the existing contract, reevaluate that original schedule. I don't know if any, anyone else has anything else to add. But... Yeah, I can pipe in. Uh, I'm obviously looking at the perspective of software. So with that lease, as of transition date, I would just enter that first period of $0 payments and then enter the new stream of payments as they begin. And as far as the deferred rent, there's an input field that will be 
added to net lease that will be that adjustment to right of use assets since deferred rent is no longer a thing under ASC 842. So all that would be captured under just the right of use asset. There would be no more deferred rent for this new lease. And you just straight line the rent over the life of the lease, considering that $0 payments for that eight months you mentioned. And Casey, does the software handle foreign currencies? The software is currency agnostic. So you would just enter the currency in or the lease in whatever functional currency you're dealing with. And you would just have to run your uh, translation adjustments as you would with anything else. In NetSuite, we do have another embedded lease software, and that does handle any type of foreign currency. So our NetSuite product is a little more dynamic, where NetLease for everyone on the cloud is a little more user-friendly and used for the 95% use case. Okay. I think with that, I think we are all set. Unless anyone else has anything else to add. Uh, all right. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for today's discussion. We encourage you to follow us on social media at grfcpas.com or grfcpas and visit our website at www.grfcpa.com for upcoming events and alerts. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the GRF on the Co podcast. Visit our website at grfcpa.com for more information about the services we provide, the industries we serve, or to request a quote.